Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Tech, episode 46, listener spotlight number six, for May 12, 2011. This week we'll be joined by Stephen Campbell, the uh, Instructional Technology Director, or excuse me, Director of Information Technology, gotta get it right, for the International School of Kabul in Kabul, Afghanistan. Um, we are here early in the morning for us. We got here at, uh, well, some of us, uh, got here, um, at about five 30 in the morning local time so that we could hook up and get this thing done because, um, Kabul is many, many hours ahead of us. And, uh, yes. if we did it at our regular scheduled 4 PM central, it would be something like, uh, four 30 in the morning for him. Right. Uh, so we're here early and he's staying late. Excuse me. <clears throat> Just be prepared for that. You're going to be hearing a lot of me clearing my throat today. I apologize for that. But again, uh, as I've mentioned in the past, uh, uh, East Texas is uh, terrible uh, in terms of allergies. And the longer you're here, the worse they get. So that's just it. I'm going to be sucking on cough drops and coughing a lot. Right. So that's all there is to that. Uh, related to that, uh, it's really, really stormy today. We mentioned that, uh, I think in the last show we did. Um, it's, it is the season for those great big giant supercells that cover the entire state. And, um, <laughs> I was teasing Sean about being late, but the reason he was late was he was in one of those big red supercells that was following him all the way from, yeah. from home to work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it was a white knuckle drive is the best way I can describe it because, you know, I've got a two hour drive in anyways and uh, a little over half of that is one or you know two lane roads so one lane in each direction and uh when it's dark and pouring down rain it, it just adds an entire new level uh, uh to driving you know it's just my hands were kind of cramped when i got here because you just don't realize how hard you're gripping the steering wheel you know? <laughs> so if we uh cut out uh mysteriously that's because the power went out uh, uh also we're uh dealing with a, a Skype connection that is uh, literally half a world away. Um, I timed it earlier before we began, uh, and uh, it was about a two-and-a-half-second round-trip delay. So uh, there's going to be some interesting things uh, with that, with uh, us talking over each other and, and a whole lot of – I'm sorry, what was that? So just get, be prepared for that. Yeah, and uh, so now I guess uh, you've already touched on this uh, in the past, I believe, but uh, you Gonna make an announcement for us again? Uh, yeah, before we, uh, move on to, uh, Stephen, I wanted to, uh, once again talk about our 2011, what I'm calling the spring sellout contest. Yeah, the, I uh, like that. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we're having a competition and all you have to do to join, uh, to win is to sell out. Uh, that's simple, really. Um, <laughs> uh, so the, for the, for the 2011 spring sellout competition, um, we will be giving away a uh, Dell DJ Diddy uh, MP3 player. It's a 512 meg little, uh, similar to uh, an iPod Shuffle. has a small LCD screen and uh, uh, holds, oh, maybe two albums worth of songs. Almost uh, looks like an oversized thumb drive. Right, a thumb drive with a with a screen and a couple of buttons. Again, analogous to a, an iPod Shuffle. It's not uh, super high-powered, but it's a handy thing if you're a runner or a commuter who, who wants to have things handy. Um, and along with that, we're also going to give away a T-shirt from our Tywad store. And the way you win this is uh, to go to some... A uh, public venue of your choice, uh, a website, a forum, a YouTube video, uh, just something that the world can see. Not not our forum, though. Right, we need something forum. outside of our own forum. Now, the idea is for you to advertise. We're, we're, we're asking you to sell out, right? So you can't sell out to yourself. you got to do that publicly. Um, <laughs> so uh, go somewhere and write a review of the Taiwan Tech or of a particular show about the Taiwan Tech or of Sean's hair. You know, just write a review <laughs> something, about yeah. something Taiwan Tech related. Um, be funny, be creative, be witty, uh, but don't be spammy. Uh, so you're going to some other website, right? Don't go to a forum for uh, Leo Laporte's Floss Weekly uh, and spam them about our our podcast. So, you know, uh, we, we want to, to uh, have some fun with it, but not be jerks. So uh, uh, go somewhere on your own personal blog or some perfect, uh, pers- uh, public place. And in some way, create a review that is uh, funny and witty and intelligent and entertaining about the Tightwad Tech. Then come back to our forums. I've created a special forum uh, in the uh, um, Tightwad Tech website called the uh, Spring Sellout, uh, Sellout Contest. And uh, post a link to your public review. <clears throat> then the community members will uh, go and review those links and comment on it and vote on it. 
and the uh, one with the uh, greatest number of votes and the one that Sean and I like the most, really. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> win, because Sean and I's vote, uh, Sean and I's, Sean's and my vote right. count roughly 10,000 times uh, your vote. So, you know, just if uh, if the guy that you want has all the votes, but we don't like him, sorry, that's it's our <laughs> contest, and that's the way it goes. Uh, so, um, but go here, and I think we can have a lot of fun with that. And the winner will get an MP3 player and a T-shirt, and we will announce the winner in June. So the contest will run all through the month of May, uh, and then we we will announce the winner in June. Looking forward to having some fun with that. All right. And talking of looking forward to things, I'm really looking forward to this interview today. So, And so without further ado, we'll bring Stephen on. Well, Stephen, welcome to the show. And I uh, just want to start um, by asking you to tell us a little bit about, uh, about you. How did you get to be uh, half a world away from where you began? Well, I originally started out in IT in high school, and then after college, I ended up working for the U.S. federal courts up in Oklahoma, and when I started getting bored with that job, I thought, I'd really love to go back into education, but there's no money in it, and so I just kind of put out some feelers for a new job, and a friend of a friend uh, told me that International School of Kabul was looking for an IT person, as theirs had resigned, and it was early June, and they didn't have anybody. So I called them up and said, I was interested, and they're like, you're actually crazy enough to go over to Afghanistan? <laughs> and I'm like, sure. So we started talking, and they offered me the job in the middle of summer, and then I left my previous job on a Friday. Then the next Monday, I hopped on a plane and came here. Uh, how does their school year run there? Is it uh, August to August like it is here in the U.S.? Um, it, we run on the U.S. schedule where we have we start in August, then we have a winter break, and then we have our spring break, and then we're done typically around uh, end of May, early June. Now, actual Afghan schools because there's no heat in the buildings, they take off during the winter, so they will stay in session through all summer. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, are you, uh, I mean, what is the school system like there? Is it is it state-run, or is it? Uh, are you kind of working at what would be called a private school? Well, let, let's, let's rephrase that question. Describe the difference between the International School of Kabul and a typical school around you in Afghanistan. Right. The International School of Kabul uses a Western-based curriculum, and it is considered a private school, and it is college preparatory. So um, a lot of our students, they go to uh, universities in Europe or in North America. So we have to actually get them ready for that. Our current student population is about 80 to 90% Afghan. Um, most of the students, they speak at least two languages before they start learning English. So we have our own unique circumstances with our student population. A typical Afghan school during the Taliban era, they destroyed all the schools and I think there were only like 300 students in the entire nation and all of those were going to private schools. So they are basically having to rebuild their entire education infrastructure from the ground up. And so Right now, they do half days for, I think, six days a week. So basically, the kids are only in session about three days a week, and they only go to eighth grade. And their plan is first get all of the students to eighth grade, and then once they then start taking the ones that are really good and move them up into the higher grades and just keep working them up that way. And so, slowly build up their educational system. Is your school, the International School of Kabul, is it what we would call a K-12 through school? Yes, it is. Okay. So based on the, the pretty much the American or, or Western model, um, and what your job is to prepare them for essentially Western colleges? Yes. It is considered a uh, college preparatory school. Okay. And what's the makeup of your student population? Do they tend to be uh, wealthy or, or poor or a mix of both? Um, it's really a mix. A lot of, well, during the Taliban era, 
a lot of the uh, upper class fled to Europe, to Canada, America, and then when the rebuilding effort started, they wanted to come back and they wanted to bring their families with them and set up roots and basically rebuild Afghanistan. And so in 2003, International School of Kabul was formed with the purpose of uh, seeking out those students that had been in Western schools and will need to go back to Western schools to get the education they need to come back and continue what their parents have started on the rebuilding process. Okay. Um, so talk, <clears throat> excuse me, talk a little bit about the, the physical layout. Now, again, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Uh, East Texas allergies once again. Um, <laughs> I, I will confess to being an ignorant redneck. Um, when I picture Afghanistan, I picture flak jackets and pith helmets. Uh, describe for me what, what the physical surrounding is like. I mean, I'm, uh, again, uh, I'm going to confess my ignorance here. I'm, I'm picturing camels and tents, uh, when I think of Afghanistan. What, um, I'm assuming since we're talking over Skype, over a modern connection, that, that I'm wrong about that. Tell me a little bit about what the physical plant is like at your school. Oh, did you did you not hear me? No, I lost you for a second. As you were talking about modern internet. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> the modern internet <laughs> right. cut out in the process of it. Uh, just tell us a little bit about what the the physical space is like. What your network is like. What your technology is like. Uh, uh, give us an idea of 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 what your school would look like in terms of of technology and and the buildings and such. Well, first, let me describe the actual physical surroundings. Kabul is situated in a valley that is surrounded by mountains. So during the winter, they're beautiful snow-covered. During the summer, it's very dry and arid, so it gets very dusty. Uh, the ground is really hard and dry. The river's kind of dry. During the Taliban and Soviet eras, because of the high population here and poverty, they cut down basically all of the trees to keep warm during the winters, so that's part of the dust problem. As for the building infrastructure, I've seen a, well, I actually have some pictures where I went through the, uh, a shot up building that used to be the Soviet Cultural Center that they, the, uh, Mujahideen destroyed it right after the Soviets left. So, yeah, there's buildings that are shot up, and every now and then you'll be just going down the street and you'll see a wall and notice bullet holes in it. But for the most part, the areas, well, we have several new buildings on campus. If you notice, pretty much all of them have safe rooms in them, which, because of our situation, we do have to have uh, attack drills, whereas most schools have, well, like in Texas and Oklahoma, you'd have a tornado drill. We have a drill of, okay, everybody get to a safe place quickly. And we do have armed guards on campus, which that makes my parents sleep better back home. Um, as for buildings, most, of, well, at least one of them I know is made out of mud bricks, and, and then they just put plaster on it to make it look nice. We have a lot of local marble, so pretty much marble floors throughout all the buildings. Yeah, it take, I can best describe it as a lot like Mexico. Okay, so it's a the infrastructure is in a rebuilding phase, is is what you're describing. It's it's been pretty ravaged, but is in in the process of being rebuilt. Yeah, there's new construction all over the place right now. Um, they got electricity to pretty much all of the city again, and because of the growth, they weren't able to keep the power grid up, so we now have a rolling blackout, I think it's every third day, but we have generators that get us through the rolling blackouts. So what sort of environment do your kids go home to? when they leave your school. So you're the tech guy, right? So I'm assuming there's laptops and labs and that sort of thing. When they leave, are they going home uh, to a connected home or are they going home to a mud hut or, or what? Um, most of them go, well, because of our school, 
and who we cater to. We are definitely catering to the upper class, and all of our kids, they go home to a dry place where they have three square meals a day, so we don't have to worry about that. Not all of them have internet at home. Um, some of them do. Some of them have nice computers. So it just varies based on the family. Okay. Well, um, I'm kind of curious uh, what kind of level of technology is available to the students there. Uh, you talked about, you know, it's kind of sporadic uh, whether they have it at home or not. Uh, what kind of uh, uses of technology are you using there? Can you say that question again? Well, what what kind of technology do you have, you know, just within, let's say, the classroom environment? I mean, is it uh, is there anything such as, you know, we have uh, we're, we've gotten quite used to laptop carts or uh, in our environment where we've got a computer in every desk. What kind of technology is available in the classroom? Most of, well, all of our buildings, they are all multi-story and I think there is only one elevator in all of Afghanistan and it's not on our campus. So we really can't have mobile carts like you would have. We have a couple of portable labs that we can move to classrooms. We have one computer lab and then the portable lab. Right now, most of the classrooms have projectors and all the teachers have laptops, either their own personal laptop or a school issued one. So, and then we also have some portable projectors that they can check out if they don't have a projector. So, if they want to use technology, they can bring it in and we can get it set up and we're working fairly well. Is that true for the students as, as well? The Do they bring their own tech if they have it? No, we don't allow students to bring technology on campus just because most of the computers here in Afghanistan run without antivirus. All right. And just them taking a jump drive home and using it on their home computer when they bring it back, we'll find at least eight viruses on each one. So it's viruses are a big problem. That's why we don't want students bringing their personal equipment onto our network. That makes sense. Uh, I'm kind of curious, you, you know, you, you mentioned the teachers. Um, is it kind of the same thing where it's a multinational kind of group of teachers that come in from all, all around the world, or are they local teachers? We have three local teachers, and they teach the uh, Dari and Pashto languages, and um, I think we also have an Islamic education since... Afghanistan is actually called the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, so we have to have Islamic education, and we have to teach both national languages, which are Dari and Pashto. So those are the only teachers hired locally. And then we have some teachers that their spouses work at outside agencies, like there's a small, uh, word lost me, Basically, they do chartered airplane flights, and a lot of their spouses work there, so we hire the other spouse that has a teaching certificate. And then we recruit, mostly in North America, we have some Canadians. We have a the computer teacher is from Uganda. We have, uh, I think, one person from Germany. And then our security people are typically from uh, the Great Britain, United Kingdom. Oh, and we also have a family from the Philippines. And all instruction is done in English? Yes. Okay. Except for the national language courses, which have to be done in them. Right. Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, what makes you a tightwad. Uh, what, uh, it sounds like your description is very similar to a, a rural school in the U.S., um, a, a smallish, uh, slightly underfunded, but not, you know, poverty-stricken. Uh, so what, uh, what, what makes you a tightwad? Well, mostly the fact that any major computer stuff that we need has to be shipped to uh, we're a member of an organization that's based out of Memphis. All of our computer equipment has to be shipped to Memphis. It is then put on pallets, and FedEx air cargoes it over to Afghanistan. It has to go through customs, and it can take at least two months for us to get anything ordered. So 
rather than go through that entire long process, I typically have just learned to make do or do without. So with limited IT hardware resources, I've just started using various tricks of the trade to get stuff done. What would some of those tricks be? One of the first things I set up when I got here was uh, Spiceworks, which you've done a show on of that. Mm-hmm. Then I also set up free open ghost because we had nothing like that in our lab is getting kind of old and it just needed a complete wipe and reload. Yay, fog. And yeah, I love fog. Then um, we really, because of the volatility of security here, we actually have a plan on the books for all the staff to get out within like a few hours notice. So we wanted to get as much confidential data off premise as possible. So that's why we started moving to Google Apps. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, I would assume backups are pretty important to you uh, in that sense. What what are you using for your backup system? Since we are on just a very small Internet connection, which is right now we're on a 1024-256 connection, off-site backups aren't really an option, so we're using LTO uh, tape backups. Check out a, a tool called Backup PC. We did a show on it. Um, it's a hard drive base and uh, way faster than tapes. But anyway, just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, great on the recovery side too. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so I've just been kind of using inherited. <laughs> How did you come to to find out about us? Uh, I mean, this is a listener spotlight, which means you're a listener. So how how did that happen? How did you become a listener of the Tightwad Tech? When I first started on the Google Apps conversion, I wanted to just get out and see what actual users were doing with it, and that's when I found your podcast. I'm like, oh, this really applies to what I'm doing here. And so I've listened to several of your episodes about different applications. I listened to the one about Spiceworks, Google Apps, Fog, just things that I think interest me and I can use in our environment here. Will you listen to this episode or just skip over it? <laughs> Maybe his well, replacement we'll should listen to this one. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. I'll probably listen to it this summer when I'm off work. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Uh, uh, well, let, let, let me not imagine. Let me ask you. It's with a, uh, a rather tight uh, connection there, um, are there restrictions or, or uh, uh, regulations you have to have in place about bandwidth use, uh, uh, Internet uh, connectivity? Well, the first restriction is placed by the Afghan government and they require that internet filtering be on all connections going out of the country. So if our internet is filtered at our provider, then we also have content filtering at our school level. And I haven't really locked down any major uh, sites. I still let them get to YouTube. I let them use Skype, that type of stuff. So what I've started, I've well, this year I started implementing a quality of service plan, and I basically went through and said, okay, anything email related is this priority, anything on web is this priority, and just set it up to where our network runs a little bit smoother and people that need to get stuff done can get it done. Uh, what's the tool you use for your QoS? Um, it, we actually got a all-in-one appliance box in it. It's called an Indian, E-N-D-I-A-N. I'm familiar with it, And yeah. it's out of Italy. And I am very impressed with it. It does just about anything I could possibly want. It does all our internet connection filtering. It does our firewall. It has built-in VPN. And then uh, in the latest version, we were able to get the quality of service, and that's really helped us out on our small connection. Uh, Stephen, I'm kind of curious. Uh, you, you know, you just mentioned filtering. Uh, what about inbound? Uh, does the government uh, have any kind of inbound filtering rules? Is there? Is it truly not a open internet like what we're used to uh, here in the United States? Not that I've heard of. To my knowledge, they mostly just want to keep pornography and that type of stuff off. 
So it, it hasn't really gotten in your way at all? Every now and then the user will come and say this block site is blocked or this site is blocked and often I can just go to my Indian appliance and add it to the uh, whitelist and it'll go on through then. So the filter I have in place is a little bit stricter than the government's. Right. Speaking about infrastructure, they just recently got a fiber connection from Kabul to Tajikistan, and we are now on that, and that's really improved our lag time. If we were still on our old satellite system, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation. So now all I know is we have a microwave receiver and transmitter sitting up on our roof. It's pointed at one of the mountains, and then just magically it somehow ends up on the Internet. <laughs> Auto-magically. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious about yeah. the uh, administrative structure there. You've got uh, several layers, right? You, you've, you've, obviously, you've got a, a, an entirely different government uh, than you're used to working from. Uh, and then you've got your, uh, I'm assuming, a superintendent or a board of directors or some sort. Uh, talk a little bit about the the political slash administrative structure and how it applies to what you do? It really doesn't affect me that much. We have our uh, executive director, Mr. Brown, and then we have the principal, Ms. Gail Gillespie, and then we have uh, two assistant principals, and uh, with me being the director of information technology, I report directly to Mr. Brown, the executive director, and so I'm kind of autonomous. I have to work and play nice with them, and when they need something done, I have to work with them. As for the government, most of the time they just are like, okay, you're doing your job. We're not too worried about it because ISK is probably the best school in Afghanistan, so as long as we're teaching the kids and playing by their rules, they're not going to bother us. And how many students do you have there, roughly? Right now, we are at about 300 students okay. in grade, grades uh, pre-K through uh, 12. I'm kind of curious, uh, and this is getting back to the hardware that you have there, but uh, what, what would you say the average age of that hardware is as far as the computers that are down there that the kids are actually using? Are, are they relatively new, you know, maybe 12 to 24 months old? Or are you dealing with six, eight-year-old hardware? The lab is about five years old, and I put on my request list for next year to replace half of it. The laptops, they're anywhere from three to four, some five years old. And then this year I ordered in a load of new laptops, and next year I'm going to order in an even bigger load of new laptops. So they're not super old like you'd consider ancient. Most of the, you, I can take you down to a street and they have stuff straight from China that's newer and better than most of the stuff you can get in the States. Just, I don't trust the stuff so that's why I don't buy there. What what OS are you running? Are you running a single OS across all those? When I came everything was on XP and I was able to upgrade our domain infrastructure to handle Windows 7 and all the new stuff that I ordered in this year is Windows 7. So we're starting the transition. Uh, seven, uh, the business uh, edition? Yeah, professional. Right. Uh, yeah, I forget what they call that. Vista, <laughs> right. Vista was business. Seven yeah. is professional. Right. Uh, have you... Uh, because of the environment... Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Because of the environment. Because of the environment, we're wanting to look at virtualization a lot of the equipment here with the dust and the finicky power, it has a very hard life and we can easily lose pieces of equipment. So we're looking at virtualization in our probably two to three year plan so that we can reduce not only our energy use, but also our equipment replacement cycles and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, that was uh, sort of where I was going with it. What about your server infrastructure, uh, server closet, server corner, <laughs> whatever it might be? Uh, are you running uh, uh, Windows Server 2003 or what does what that, what does your server environment look like? 
Right now we're on 2003 and we have just one Dell 2800 that just sits in the corner and just chugs away. And the uh, server room is actually just a unventilated office that has windows that aren't exactly airtight and a door that blocks most of the wind. So we have to regularly shut it down, then go get a can of compressed air and blow it out. All right. So dust is really uh, your primary enemy there. Oh, if you want dust, I can bring you some back. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that makes uh, an interesting question. Uh, uh, our summer maintenance here, uh, I've done it for years now. I take all the computers out. I, I blow them out with compressed air, and that's one of the reasons we're able to keep machines for so long is, is we uh, aggressively maintain them. What sort of hardware maintenance policies do you have in that, uh, shall we say, rugged environment? When I came here, there was no policy, so all of the equipment, I don't think it's been blown out in several years. But I actually have an assistant, his name's Rafi, and since he's a local hire, once I hop on the plane and head home, then he will start tearing down the lab to put it in storage. And at that point, I'll have him go and blow everything out and make sure that it's nice and clean and ready for next year. And you've been there and again. That, the, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> that Skype delay is getting us again. You've been there. Uh, remind me, less yeah. less than a year, right? You've started in in the fall. I got in. Yeah, I started in August. Okay. And uh, then I will be heading home in June. I'm uh, I'm kind of curious. This is off the technology topic, but what what your personal living environment is like there are you kind of living in some sort of a, a room attached to the school or do you live in an, an apartment in some sort of halfway cosmopolitan cosmopolitan area or well the school is actually in a residential area and all of our school buildings used to be houses so what they did is they made some buildings schoolhouses, the ones that had really large rooms, and others that had the smaller rooms, they made them into uh, residential areas. So we have some families living in houses by themselves. I live above the cafeteria in, with all the other guys, or so, single guys, I should say. So, so almost kind of like dorm living then? Pretty close. Which that adds a whole new twist to our internet connection because during work hours we're a school network, but then once everybody leaves school, it becomes like we're an ISP and we're providing it as a service to them for their home. So, what sort of things do you do in your off time? Since you mentioned that, uh, what is uh, what is a night on the town in Kabul like? There are actually very nice restaurants in Kabul. I don't go to them very often just because going into the downtown area, the more you go out, the more you're at risk. And so I prefer to keep a very low profile. But there is a very nice bar downtown, and it is the bar that has been blown up the most times ever. <laughs> it is considered the deadliest bar in the world which it's actually very safe. It's right next to the Iranian embassy, so it hasn't been bombed in probably three or four years now. But it's basically like a bunker. And then there's several nice restaurants. There isn't a whole lot of activities to do. There is one art museum. I kind of like the urban exploration stuff, going and looking at uh, abandoned buildings. So at one point I was able to talk our security manager into taking us to one that a bombed out building and we were able to climb through it, take a lot of photos and have a great time there. On campus, mostly what we do is we will just watch podcasts or uh, once somebody brings in a TV series like Lost or, or Prison break, it basically comes community property and people will watch the first disc and pass it on to the next one. 
So right now I'm watching the uh, show Community and Oh, I think I've been watching it. So we just can do our own little thing. Now, when you, when you uh, arrive in country, so to speak, do you get, uh, or maybe before you even left the states, do you get any kind of briefing from the State Department? Are you are you in frequent communication with uh, any uh, U.S. delegation? The U.S. government has a point of contacts for every organization here in Afghanistan. So like our director, he gets emails that I won't see, but you can all, you're also supposed to register with the embassy so that if they have to do an evacuation, they can check on everybody. So every now and then I will get an email from the embassy. Like this morning I got one when, right after the announcement that Bin Laden had been killed and they basically said, be on the lookout, try to keep your travel up to the minimum amount possible. So we're not in direct contact with the U.S. Embassy. I know where the embassy is, but I've never actually stepped foot on it. Yeah, good place to know where, at least where it is, just in case you need to go there, right? Yeah, the embassy in Afghanistan is actually in one of the most dangerous areas in Afghanistan. It's right next to Massoud Circle. Well, since you mentioned it, uh, I'll go ahead and, and uh, point at the elephant in the room there. Uh, <laughs> we're recording this at uh, uh, 6.30 a.m. local Texas time, uh, the day after the announcement was made in the U.S. that uh, uh, Osama bin Laden had been killed. Uh, obviously, that's a bigger news in Kabul, Afghanistan, than than uh, here in North Texas. Um, and so uh, I'm interested, since you brought it up, uh, the... Uh, Ramifications for you are more uh, security related than anything else, right? You've got a, uh, there might be, um, what, uh, uh, blowback, demonstrations, riots. What, what sort of things are you, uh, bracing for in, in light of this news? Real, the main security concern is, uh, flash mobs. Most protests, they're organized in advance. So in the next day or two, they might organize a protest down, like I said, near Masood Circle or some other place downtown. And when one's organized, all of our security people, they say, okay, we know there's going to be a protest here. It may turn violent. Please avoid this area. And they brief everybody what areas are okay to go, what areas are not okay to go. Every now and then there might be a flash mob, but flash mobs are typically due to, like, if I was in a vehicle and my driver hit a pedestrian, that could cause a flash mob. So with security, with Bin Laden's assassination, there may be some protest, but at the most they might send out an email saying, okay, we want you to stay close to campus for the next few days. Right, because I, I don't know if you feel this way or not. I, I can only imagine being in that situation that I would feel like, uh, you know, maybe somebody's looking for the nearest American to try to, you know, prove a point or something. So I'd be feeling like I needed to hide out. I mean, uh, you are used to the, the culture and I guess just the environment over there. So uh, does does it feel that way or, or you feel just kind of relatively uh, okay? I feel okay. They haven't done kidnappings in years. Most of the time it's just a indiscriminate attack, like a car bomb or the last one that was big here was a, or two suicide bombers went into a local grocery store that uh, foreigners frequent and the body count was pretty big on that one, but they were directly targeting foreigners. So in the next few days I will probably we uh, try to avoid places that I know foreigners go a lot. Since we're on a campus, within walking distance, there are one or two Afghan-owned uh, grocery stores, so I can get just about anything I possibly need and, and not even see another American when I do it. Uh, since you brought that up, I'm just really curious, what is an Afghan grocery store like? I mean, are you able to find a lot of the American things that you've, you've grown used to throughout your life or, uh, are you getting all of the local, are you getting all the local flavor from that grocery store? 
Um, you get a good mix of both. A lot of the uh, products are brought in from like Pakistan and India and Iran. So it's not uncommon to, we can get like ramen noodles, which are a good lockdown food, but often it's not exactly like the U.S., but it's close enough that you don't tell the difference. Can you get a good cheeseburger? <laughs> Actually, yes, you can. Oh, good. Well, okay, that's a good point, though. Uh, I've lived overseas uh, and in several countries, and there's always something that you're missing. There's that one thing that you, you took for granted that you can't get. What is that one thing for you? Um, we don't get very good Mexican food, so I would love to have some taco bueno. And <laughs> you call that good Mexican the, food? <laughs> since this is, yeah. Since it's an Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, pork products are very, very difficult to find. So you're missing your bacon. Some bacon, but it's very expensive. So I'd love a good pork chop too. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've uh, meandered long enough here, um, and and I want to thank you for being with us. I, I understand it's at the end of your day, uh, and uh, we're at the beginning of ours here, uh, so we'll just go ahead and, and wrap this up. Is there any uh, one final comment or anything that we have overlooked that you wanted to mention before we say goodbye? Um, I would probably, for a final closing comment, say a lot of people have misconceptions conceptions about the Afghan people, and everybody gets a stereotypical image in their head of what they think of Afghanistan and the people. Afghanistan is a very beautiful country. It's very nice. The people are very strong-willed, and a lot of them are just going through trying to do a normal daily job to get enough to get by and provide for their families. So. It's not like everybody here is running around with a gun chanting, kill Americans. It's most of the people, they just want to provide for their families. It's that 1% that is reported on the news. So when you see something on the news, know that you're not seeing the entire story. There's people from all over the world that come to Afghanistan in an effort to rebuild it and make it a better country like it once was. And count it among those as you, Stephen, and uh, we'll just uh, hope and pray that you uh, you make it back to the States uh, safely. Oh, well, less than 30 days now, so I'm almost there. <laughs> You're counting the days, huh? Thanks for having <clears throat> Uh, well, thanks for being uh, with us, and, and thanks for being a listener, and uh, this has been fascinating, and uh, uh, we're really glad. I don't know if, if Sean reached out to you or if you reached out to him, how that worked, but uh, I'm glad that you uh, decided to join us and uh, share your insights with us. Yeah, and I will try to make a point to be a little bit more active on the forums for any of the users that want to shoot me questions about Afghanistan. I can answer them. That would be great. And, and well, yeah, what's your name on the forum, Steve? Um, I don't remember. I think it's CPU Fixer Jr. Okay. So. I'm sure if you post, I'm the guy in Afghanistan, then we'll, they'll know which one it is. Right. Um, all right. So yeah. thank you, uh, um, Stephen, and, and um, we're going to say uh, good day, and uh, um, thanks once again for being with us. Thank you for having me, and have a great day. All right. And once again, that was Stephen Campbell, the Director of Information Technology for the International School of Kabul in Kabul, Afghanistan. Um, I don't know if that was uh, uh, geeky enough for some of our audience, but I found it fascinating just to uh, uh, to hear about this expatriate who's, uh, you know, um, displaced from his home but uh, doing good work. Yeah, you know, it takes a, a special person to t kind of take that leap and just jump out there and go to a country like that. Um, and that really applies, I think, for anybody who hasn't lived abroad. Uh, it's it's really uh, scary the first time. You don't know what to expect. And I can only imagine I've never been to a country as uh, hostile an environment as Afghanistan. So, uh, you know, kudos to him, man. 
Yeah, and he's a, he's a Taiwan, so you know he's kindred spirit. Right, uh, right. From uh, I, I think he mentioned it uh, uh, early on, but before we uh, started recording, uh, he's from uh, uh, Central Oklahoma, so he's uh, relatively local to us here in north northeast Texas. Yeah, um, and uh, interestingly enough, he had to go uh, thirteen time zones away before we met him. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I think we'll move on now to the uh, tech tip of the week. And this is really two tech tips in one. Um, I'm going to divulge one of my uh, sources. And so you're now going to find out where I get a lot of my tech tips. Um, one of my favorite tech blogs is called the How To Geek. Uh, it's at uh, howtogeek.com. And they, um, uh, a while back, did a, a really great article on locking down uh, Ubuntu Linux uh, for a kiosk mode. Uh, we've often talked here on the show about um, uh, freezing computers, CompuGuard, Deep Freeze, uh, uh, um, Microsoft Steady State, things like that. This article discusses how to do that uh, with Linux so that uh, a user can come in and interact with uh, a Linux desktop, and then when they log out or reboot, any changes they've made are, are non-permanent, so it uh, the changes don't stick. So you can create a kiosk mode uh, using Ubuntu Linux, which I thought would be uh, um, of great interest to um, uh, school districts. I've done similar things in the past using my own scripts, but they talk about a tool that makes it a lot easier. <coughs> And the URL is really hairy, so I'm not going to even try to read it here. Uh, but uh, it'll be on the uh, uh, website show notes for this. So that's uh, two tips in one, the How To Geek blog and uh, also locking down Ubuntu Linux installations. All right. Well, I'll jump in with the teacher tip, and uh, that is .sub.com. And it is an online video hosting with uh, language transcription options. So if you can kind of picture loosely uh, YouTube, but uh, any video on there might actually have a list of four or five different language options that it might be available in. And it's just uh, transcribed. The uh, audio is transcribed into those uh, different languages. And then it also has a really neat community feature in that you can actually be a translator. So you can actually go in and uh, if your uh, language is Japanese, let's say, and uh, you want to transcribe a certain video into Japanese, you can do that. So, uh, so they have that community environment worked in there. Uh, as you can imagine with something like this, they don't have the wealth of videos that uh, YouTube's going to have, but, uh, but certainly something worth uh, checking out. Are these all human transcriptions and not machine? Um, right. These are all human trans transcriptions. So all of their transcription uh, uh, occurs within the community. So it's all it's kind of a volunteer basis. Um, so it won't have the comedic value of Google Voice. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure, uh, you know, if you've got a, a multi-language classroom, things of that nature, uh, you might find some interesting things there. But... Uh, certainly worth checking out if you uh, if you're needing to find some videos that uh, you know you've got to use in a couple of uh, different language environments like maybe Stephen might have to uh, out there in Kabul. So dot uh, sub dot com. I hadn't planned on doing this, but uh, since we uh, brought it up, <clears throat> I recently wrote a a blog post on my personal website about a um, Google Voice transcription that my wife got. That it was so funny it had to be shared. Um, <laughs> I called my wife, sent her a, a message saying that I was uh, on my way home, basically. And uh, here's what Google Voice uh, transcribed it. You ready? Here we go. <clears throat> Big radio announcement. <clears throat> Just came home, please, paper break in between, so I'm going to try get works what's up. I think you're park at Rick Martin's step, so what's happened by? Makes perfect that sense pretty to much, me. That's pretty much uh, covers it all. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, at dot sub dot com, you will not have that kind of transcription. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess now is the time that you're going to inform the world how they can get in touch with us, right? Nah, nah, that's not nah, shit, are they? Leave that out. No. Uh. <laughs> um, uh, our website, of course, is thetaiwadtech dot com. Uh, or if you're a social media inclined person, you can find us on uh, twitter.com slash the tightwad tech or facebook.com slash the tightwad tech. And, um, I'm begging for you to, uh, call in and leave us some voicemails at our phone number at, uh, uh, 530 frugal two or, uh, <coughs> excuse me again. 
It's uh, it's really rough. I've been sucking cough drops all the way here. Yeah. <clears throat> Again, on our, our website, we've got the uh, uh, Google Voice widget that will give you a call, and you can leave us a voicemail. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, so this is me um, openly pleading. Uh, somebody, please leave us a voicemail so that we can play it on the air. Yeah, we like to do that from time to time. Yeah, it, I, the last time you begged, it worked. Yeah. I, I guess I'm losing my touch. It, um, uh, but we, we like doing it. It's, uh, it's fun. It's funny sometimes. Um, but, uh, we'd like to, to hear from you and, um, that's how you can do it. Uh, uh, of course, uh, as Steve mentioned, we have our forums there at the website at the, the tightwadtech.com, a great community there that is growing and, and, uh, really taking off on its own. And, uh, we invite you to be a part of it. Sounds good. Well, I guess now is the time that I can just say uh, this was a really great show. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. As long as Sean pronounces it a great show, yeah. I guess we're done. Given him my blessing. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for joining us, folks. And for this week, this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off.